Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 14. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be you not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been going through a series that we've entitled Awake, uh, and this is our last week uh, in this series, uh, of the Awake series, and I'm praying that this has been a challenge for us to shake us, to stir us, to remind us uh, that this is not a time. We don't have time to be asleep spiritually. We just, we don't have time to be a people that are not aware and not caring because that's what it means to be awake. To be awake means that we are aware and we care. We not only are aware of the situations around us, but we care about what's happening. We are aware of our spiritual condition and where we find ourselves in God, and we care about where we're going with God. We are aware of the brokenness around us, and we care, and so we want to do something about it. So what, we talk, what we've talked about so far is that we are being called to awake to love. Because if we are not motivated by love, then we are not motivated by the heart of God, right? We are Christians. They'll know us by our love. If we love people in their best moments, but we abandon them in their worst, then we're not really walking in love. Love requires something of us, right? Uh, We've been called to awake to holiness. We've been called to love righteousness, to love purity, to love justice. And we've also been called to hate sin. We've been called to awake to the light. We must allow the Word of God to light our way, to be our definitive authority. The Word of God must shape our worldview. We cannot be swallowed by the darkness. We are people of light. And then last week we talked about that we are to awake to the Spirit. We are awake to a revelation of who He is and who we are because of the work of the Holy Ghost, and awake to godly character and awake to supernatural power. How many of you know that we can walk in the power of the Holy Ghost, that we are not weaklings hoping that we get by? We are overcomers. God is for us, not against us. Amen. And so this week the challenge is to awake to worship. So after the Word of God tells us in this passage that we are to be filled with the Spirit, then it says to speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things. God has called us to worship. We are to awake to worship. How many of you like to sing? How many of you like to sing but can't sing? How many of you have ever been singing at the top of your lungs, and when you get done, you're like, man, I need to be on American Idol. And then some of you, you get done singing, and then you look around, and you think, I hope nobody heard that. <laughs> Come on now. We do like to sing. There's something about singing that, that, that uh, allows us to express things that we can't normally express. How many of you have a favorite song? You have a favorite song, right, that kind of comes to mind that you kind of sing often? How many of you get a song stuck in your head, and you don't even like it, but you're singing it anyway? They call those earworms. You get a song in your head and you can't get rid of it, right? The only way you can get rid of it is to do what? Replace it with another song, right? you got to sing something else. We've been called to awake to worship. It's been said that we are all worshipers, that we all worship something. Now, 
This statement can be a little bit misleading because of different definitions of worship. Worship by nature is a loaded word. Worship is a very religious word. Okay, so when we say that everyone is a worshiper, then we are kind of using a loaded word when we say that. Non-religious people may take issue to this statement because of the intensity of the word. Worship brings with it a certain level of intensity. And it means to those of us who are followers of Jesus, it means something totally different than someone who is a non-religious person. But I've heard it said that even atheists worship something. We all worship something. But in reality, there, is, there seems to be an innate desire in all of us to appreciate, to honor, to stand in awe, to passionately love, etc., etc., something or someone. Our hearts seem to be framed around recognizing that there is something bigger than us that exists. And whether we are standing in awe of the wonder and the beauty and the power of the universe, or we are standing in awe of the wonder and the beauty and the powerful of an all-loving, all-powerful God, we still recognize that there's something that's bigger than us. When you take a look at our universe, and you take a look at the earth, and you take a look at the United States, and you take a look at West Virginia, and then you take a look at Charleston, we're a speck. We're a speck. A speck in an endless chasm of, of a universe that is continually expanding. Billions of light years across. Billions of light years. Can you imagine? Some of us can't even get out of Marmot. Amen. <laughs> but that's the point. This is the point that's made by Romans chapter 1. If, there, if it isn't God that we honor, if it isn't God that we are recognizing as something bigger than us, then it will be something within the created order. Something within the created universe is going to replace God. Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, and then verse 25 says, Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. We talk about this when we talked about awaking to the light. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the, the, glory of God, the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And then verse 25 says, Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So what we see in Romans chapter 1 is that what happens in our lives is if we don't honor God as that one all-consuming meaning and purpose of life, we will find something else within the created order to take His place. And the rest of chapter 1 tells us what happens when we replace the worship of the Creator with anything else within creation. Our hearts turn towards self-absorption, it turns towards perversion, and it turns towards darkness. Anytime we replace God with anything else, it will always turn to self and perversion, and it will turn to darkness. When we replace our worship of God with finding meaning, fulfillment, and purpose within something else, we have worshipped the creature rather than the Creator. Worship is as much about what we feel is the ultimate meaning and purpose of life as it is about religious activity. Because normally when we think about worship, we think about our churchy stuff. We think about the things that we do at church. But whatever we look to as the ultimate meaning and purpose of our life is at the core of our worship. So to awake to worship 
is not a challenge to start worshiping. We've already done that. So for me to say awake to worship is not for me to challenge you to start worshiping. You've already done that. To awake to worship is to worthy is to realize who or what is worthy of our worship. Who or what is the ultimate meaning and purpose for our lives? Who or what defines our worldview? If we can answer those questions and we're putting our finger on what and who we worship. The English word for worship comes from a phrase called worth-ship, which means we are recognizing the worth and the value of the one we are honoring. Worship is worth-ship. We are giving to that one whom we believe deserves the most honor and is worthy of that honor. So we ask ourselves, who is worthy of our praise, our thanks, our honor? Who is worthy of our very lives? This kind of worship belongs only to the creator of heaven and earth, the God who came and saved and rescued us. So here's the thing. When we talk about worship, we're not just talking about the feel-good fuzzies of a church service. Some of you felt, felt good this morning. I heard you. I heard a couple of you grunt during worship. When, the word, when we, you know, we start singing songs that, that, that I know that you are forming, we feel the warm fuzzies, right? That's worship. Oh, that's worship. We had a good worship service this morning. Why was it good? Because I felt fuzzy. Right? And they sang my song, and the person that I wanted to sing sang it, right? It wasn't too hot. It wasn't too cold. The person behind me wasn't clapping off beat. It was a wonderful worship service. Right, But when we're talking about worship, we're not just talking about these feel-good fuzzies of a church service. And we're not just talking about singing a pretty song that might stir our hearts. I mean, let's be honest. It doesn't have to be a song to God to make us cry. All right? We can sing songs about, you know, our long-lost dog. Feed Jake. And we all, <laughs> feed him. Feed. That's an old song. I don't even know where Feed Jake came from. Anybody remember Feed Jake? Remember that song? If I die before I wake, feed Jake. <laughs> Take care of Jake. That's all that matters. Hallelujah, Jake. <laughs> Am I right? I'm, I'm right, right. We can sing songs that have nothing to do with Jesus, and they'll make us cry. So it's not, it's not just songs that we sing. So when we talk about worship, we're not just talking about singing pretty songs. We're not even talking about our Christian t-shirts or our bumper stickers or our faith-filled media posts. Because it sometimes we're schizophrenic, spiritually schizophrenic on social media, right? We'll post about how great God is and then tear somebody down in the next post, right? I don't normally rant. You don't? I've read three of them today. ha. <laughs> So we're not just talking about all these good things about worship. These are all wonderful things about worship. We're also talking about the subject of idolatry. So when we talk about worship, we have to challenge our heart. What brings us the most fulfillment? What sparks a fire in our hearts? What do we shape our lives around? What demands our deepest allegiance? What takes up the most room in our hearts? And our minds. If we can answer those questions, then we may just have exposed an idol. We may have poked it. 
Whether it's power or fame or money or success, whether it's sexual fulfillment, athletics, education, your significant other, or even your family, something or someone is vying for the most important thing in your life. The danger of idols is that, we, it, that they will eventually either eat us up or we will squeeze the life out of them. Either the idol eventually turns on us and doesn't allow us or, or does not bring us the fulfillment that we thought, or we feel as though we fall short of the one who we idolized, or the one that we idolized has somehow come short and failed us. And that's what happens when we put all of our honor, our allegiance in someone or something. How many of you know people will fail you? Even the one that you love the most, even your spouse, the one that you have committed your life to, to be with forever, they're going to let you down. And not only is it not wise for us to put our entire allegiance towards one person, it's not fair towards them either. Because you know who's the only one who can handle being God? God. The only one who can handle being God is God. Your spouse can't do that. Your children can't do that. So we, what ends up happening is we put expectations on our children that they'll never reach. So we feel like they failed us, and they feel like that they failed, that, that we failed them. And so we have to recognize that when we look at our lives, we have to understand that God is challenging us what is most important to our lives. To awake to worship is to not only recognize the incalculable worth of God, but it is to understand the emptiness of replacing Him with anything else. To awake to worship is to not only recognize the incalculable worth of God, but to understand the emptiness of replacing Him with every, anything else. Why? Because worship demands our everything. And it's funny how people will, will love Jesus' quotes about Him loving the world and caring for the poor and taking care of those who are on the outside. But then when Jesus says something like, you have to take up your cross and follow me. You have to deny yourself. If you... If you love your father and mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. People start getting mad at those kind of things. Jesus, you demand too much of my life. But doesn't everything demand our lives? Amen. The beauty of the worship of Jesus is that he gave up everything first for us. Jesus laid his life down and understood the power of rejection and fear and pain and ultimately death before he ever called us to lay our lives down for him. Jesus gave up everything before he calls us to give up everything. Jesus laid his life down before he ever called us to lay our lives down. Amen. And here's the beauty of the gospel. God calls us, he pursues us, he convicts us by his grace. There's no force here. God is not forcing you to worship Him. God is not forcing you to receive Him. There is only loving sacrifice. So this makes God worthy of me laying down my life. This makes God worthy of me worshiping Him. Because unlike everything else that puts a demand on my life, He gave first before He called me to give. To awake to worship is to awake to the depths of our desires and dreams. It's to recognize what has our hearts. Now the challenge isn't that we can't have loves in our lives. Surely we can. Both of our boys this spring are playing soccer and baseball. Soccer and baseball. So we're going to do a lot of praying. A lot of screaming. A lot of exasperation. 
It's going to require time. Family requires time. Love requires time. There's nothing wrong with having loves in our life. The issue is, is when that love is what defines and consumes who we are. Because what ends up happening, folks, if we decide that what we want is power, then when we don't have power, we feel as though we failed. Or we will end up using people to get it. If it's money or success, then if we don't succeed, then we lose our purpose in life. If it's sexual fulfillment, then if we don't get that, then we feel like we have failed. If it's athletics and we don't feel like we succeed in athletics, then guess what happens? We lose our purpose. If it's in our spouse and they fail us, then we feel as though we've lost our purpose. I've seen this happen many times with the empty nest syndrome where someone has been parents their entire lives and then when the kids leave the house, they don't know how to act. They don't know what their purpose is. They don't know what their meaning is. Why? Because they had poured everything into that family. There are some parents like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've been trying to get them out of the house since they were 13. (laughs) So to awake to worship, though, is to, to ask what really defines me. Because at the end of the day, if I don't have power or success, if I lose something in this life, I'm not defined by that. I'm defined by my purpose with God. And my relationship with God. Matthew chapter 15, Jesus gave this challenge to the religious people. The people draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart, their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So we all understand that the true essence of worship is a matter of the heart. Jesus calls religious deeds with no heart involved as vain worship. Doing a bunch of stuff with no heart involved is vain worship. It's zero worship. So what does this look like? What does this heartfelt worship look like? This worship that comes from the inside out. This worship that comes from the core of who we are. It's found in John chapter 4. Jesus talking to the woman at the well. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit And in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So true worship is done with, in spirit and in truth. To worship in spirit is to worship with everything that we are. It is to understand deeply the value and the worth of who God is. When we worship in spirit, it means that it goes to the core of, of who we are. There are some people that believe that in this, uh, the, this verse of Scripture that, this, that spirit could either be capitalized or not capitalized. In other words, it, it's talking about worshiping, yes, in the power of the spirit, but it's also talking about us worshiping with the core of who we are. It's not some type of flippant offering that we throw out to God. It is the core of who we are. To worship in truth is to worship God for who He truly is. To rightly understand the awesomeness of God and how He is revealed to us in the Word of God. The Colossians passage, that is a lot like this Ephesians passage, uh, connects our worship with the honoring of God's Word. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. 
You see right there that our worship is directly tied to us allowing the Word of God to dwell in our hearts richly. And I want you to notice something there. It says we are supposed to teach and admonish one another through our songs. I could sing this entire sermon, but you guys would leave halfway through it. I believe, in other words, that's why I have some issues with Christian songs that are so vague. Right? Because our songs are supposed to teach us something. A good, powerful worship song is a song that actually tells us something about theology. And it definitely doesn't sing about us. Right? We're supposed to teach and admonish one another. That is recognizing the power of the Word of God. The power of theology is part of our worship. It's part of our spirit and truth. Notice that Jesus even tied it together in that Matthew chapter 15 passage. He said, you're honoring me with your lips, but your heart's far from me. And then he goes on and says, you're teaching people doctrines of men. So in other words, Jesus was saying, not only is your spirit not involved, but you guys have wandered so far from the truth, you don't even know what worship looks like. The essence, folks, of idolatry is not just replacing God with something else but having a picture of God in our minds that is not true. How many people have said things like, well, the God I believe in does this, but that God doesn't exist. Right? When we have a picture of God in our mind that is not correct, then we are not rightly worshiping God. That's why it's so important if we say things like, if we say things like, well, in my view, or in my opinion, Well, hopefully your view and your opinion is rooted in something. Because if not, your opinion and your view is like armpits. Everybody has them and sometimes they stink. When we redefine who God is to make Him more palatable, or when we redefine who God is to make it easier for us to accept, we're not worshiping in truth. Or when we have a picture of God as someone who is so stern, so angry, that he does not want anything to do with us, we're not really worshiping the true God. That's not who God is. So we have to recognize when we see God other than how he reveals himself, we're not worshiping in truth. And folks, it's hard for us to worship in spirit, giving our whole heart in worship when we're unable to worship in truth. If we're not, if we don't rightly recognize who God is, whether that makes us comfortable or uncomfortable, when we don't recognize God's love and holiness, when we don't recognize the God of grace, but the God who yet also demands something of us, when we start painting pictures of a God who doesn't care how I live, because that's the God who loves and doesn't care about any mistakes or sins that I We are not rightly viewing God. And it's hard to worship something with our whole heart if we don't rightly see who God is. So this is true worship. Our hearts are involved and our knowledge of Him is right. So the challenge as we talk about awaking to worship, and there's so much I could say, uh, there were so many directions I want to go with worship. There's so many directions we can go when it comes to idolatry because in reality, What is happening in our world, if you want to find out what direction we're going in, you just have to identify the idol. Just identify the idol. 
And what's so funny is that we act and we read things in the Old Testament, and we're like, well, I would never have bowed down to a golden calf. That story in and of itself is so strange. Right? Bring me your gold, we'll melt it down, we'll make a calf. Could Aaron not come up with a better excuse? We just threw the gold in the fire and out popped this calf. <laughs> Sounds like something from nothing. I don't know. Out popped this calf. And then not only did it come out of the fire, we decided to go ahead and worship it. And that's the thing about idols. We create them. We create idols. But we say, oh, I would never have worshipped a golden calf. Nothing's changed, folks. The idol just has a different name. It's just wearing different clothes. And that's the challenge that we have to, we have to uh, recognize. If I'm going to awake to worship, it's not just to awake to who God is. It's to awake to the idols that are challenging my heart. So to awake to worship is three things I want to point out here. To awake to worship is, number one, to awake to song. Song. Paul says psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, sing, making melody in your heart. You know, sometimes, folks, the only thing we can do is sing. You know, when we don't have anything else we can do, just sing. When you're feeling down, when you're feeling discouraged, when you don't know what to do, just sing. You don't have to sing well, you just got to sing. Isaiah said, sing, old baron. He didn't say sing when you give birth. He didn't say sing when you get what you want. He said sing when you're in the desert. Sing when you're in the dry places. Sing when you're not giving birth. Sing when nothing's happening in your life. Sing. Lift up your voice and sing. Why? Because the Lord is worthy of our praise. Sing. God puts a song in our heart. Why? Because we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, He puts a song in our hearts. And this is normally what we think of when we think of worshiping. We think of singing. We think of we're going to go to church and we're going to listen to singing, right? We're going to listen to somebody lead us in worship. We're going to listen to someone sing a song and we're going to sing along with them. And that's what worship is. But, and this is truly a powerful aspect of worship. Uh, we should take that worship time seriously. We are singing to the God of the universe, right? We should take that time very seriously. But it's not just the song, but the fact that we are verbalizing what's in our hearts, that's why it is important for us to be able to sing songs that, that we can sing together as a congregation. I know that new songs, sometimes we kind of stand and just stare at the screen, you know, or I, I try to find where you're going with the song. You ever done that in a song? You think they're going up, but they don't. They go down, and you're like, oh. I just keep singing. Do whatever I can. I'll make my own beat up, all right? I'll just sing. It is important that we be able to sing together because we are verbalizing what is in our heart. Affection and honor are much more powerful when it is spoken, when it is recognized by our own admission. When we admit, it makes the object of our affection and honor that much bigger. That's why it's important that we, that we tell each other that we love one another. Yes, it's important that we do. Obviously, our actions speak louder than words, but let's not act like that our words don't matter. Amen. We never tell the people that we love that we love them. Then how do they know? Right. It makes it that much more powerful when we admit to God, you're worthy of my honor. I'm going to speak this out loud so I can hear it and everybody else can hear it and hell itself can hear it. God, you're worthy of my praise. There's power in singing. There's power in music. How many of you know that a song can come on and it takes you to another place? 
takes you to another place, whether it's a bad place or whether it's a, a good place. We, there are songs that carry that much power that, that when we hear that song, we're immediately in a different attitude, right? You hear a song come on, and all of a sudden you got hair again. Right? A song comes on, you're 50 pounds lighter, you're riding down the road on a motorcycle. Woo! Those were the days. Right? Then the song goes off and you're back to reality. I don't know what just happened there, but I got lost for a minute. Rewind the tape. Anybody still got tapes? Anybody listen to cassette tapes? Dave, Jim, you weren't still listening to tapes? Still using the pencil to wind it back up? <laughs> Most of the music I had was tapes that I got off of Rock 105. Rock 105 used to have a perfect album side that came on every night, and they would play the six favorite songs of somebody. We'd get on there and just press record. <laughs> that was my music. There's power in music. It's a way for us to escape, which means when we make our music time about God, we're escaping into the beauty of who He is. It's not a matter of escapism in the fact that we're not facing reality, but it's allowing us to see reality through an entire different perspective. When worship is what, when God's beauty is what captures our hearts and our minds and our thoughts, then it changes not only how we see the world, it changes how we see ourselves when we spend time in worship. Songs can help us express things that we just haven't been able to express. Have you ever had a worship song that becomes that powerful to you because it's like, that's what I've been trying to say? I've been trying to put it like that forever. Of course, have you ever heard a worship song and you went, what? <laughs> what? I don't understand what that means. And the singing part also unites us as a congregation in honoring God together. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. We stand in honor of God here on Sunday mornings and we sing together. As a congregation, declaring our dependence upon God and our dependence on each other as the people of God. As we spend time in worship, to, to awake to worship is to awake to song. These next two are tied intricately together. Number two, we awake to service. We start with worship in talking about the matters of the heart, but this should always lead to service. This always leads to the living out of what is in our hearts. We can sing a song, but the song has to turn into action. We can declare a praise, but our walk has to show it. Colossians 3.17, again the passage ties our song service to our outward service. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. So right after he said, let the word of God dwell in you richly and sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, he goes right into saying, and then whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Because we serve the Lord Christ. Serving, folks, is worship. Amen. Paul defines our spiritual act of worship as presenting ourselves to God and fulfilling the purpose of God in our lives. Paul, in Romans chapter 12, doesn't even talk about singing a song. He says, present yourselves. Prove what is the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Working and living out the purpose of God for our lives is service. Why? Because service is worship. 
When we decide to put our hands to the plow, get our fingers dirty, and give ourselves in service to others, we are honoring the God who saved us and and desires to save the ones whom we are serving. Please don't ever forget that as we serve people, we are serving people that Jesus died for. I don't care what they look like. I don't care what they smell like. I don't care what they've done. Jesus died for them. They are valuable. They have intrinsic worth simply because they are breathing. And therefore, when we serve, we're honoring God. When we serve, we are worshiping God with our lives. And this is the essence of what God has called us to. God's like, thank you for your song, but I want to see your life. That's why in Isaiah chapter 1, God said, I'm tired of your Sabbaths and your new moons and your ceremonies. It makes no sense. The people would have said, but God, those were your ideas. God, you told us to honor the Sabbath. You told us to offer incense. You told us to follow all these ceremonies and these new moons and all of these festivals. You told us to do this, and now you're telling me you're tired of it? Why? Because God says, I don't have your heart. I don't have your heart. I want everything about you. I want your life. And that's where service comes in. And number three, to awake to worship is to wake up to song, to awake to service, and it's awake to sacrifice. Service and sacrifice go hand in hand. Now, not always. Some of us like to serve, and it's not necessarily a sacrifice. It's what we want to do. You don't have to be a Christian to be someone who likes to serve, right? I mean, how many of you know it makes you feel good when you help somebody? You know, it's been very rarely that I helped somebody and then was mad about it. <laughs> Here, let me help you, you dirty dog. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are some people that you help and you're like, they probably didn't deserve it, but I helped them anyway. Because <laughs> we're God and we decide who deserves it, right? But we look, at, we look at serving sometimes as something that, you know, some people will like to go down and help at the shelter or, or help someone that's in need because it makes them feel good about themselves. It's called utilitarianism. We, we give because it makes us feel better about ourselves. But service and sacrifice go hand in hand because to serve is to put others first, which is always going to demand self-sacrifice. If you're going to put someone else first, that means you're second, at least. So think about it. Obedience demands the sacrifice. But there's no greater manifestation of worship than faithful obedience. You want to worship God? Obey Him. Obey Him. This ties again back to the Word of God. When we worship in truth, we obey. There's no greater manifestation of worship than to obey God. But obedience many times demands a self-sacrifice. Holiness demands a sacrifice. It demands a dying to self, taking up our cross. It demands that we stand against the lies of the enemy. And most of the time, it means that we've got to go against the flow of the world, which is a sacrifice. But it's a manifestation of heartfelt worship. Think about it. Every time you say no to sin and yes to God, you're saying, God, you're the one who fulfills me more than sin. God, you're the one whom I want to honor, not this temporary satisfaction that comes from fleshly pursuits. Every time I say no to sin and yes to God, I am bringing him honor and worship. I'm being light to the world. I'm walking in holiness to the world. This is heartfelt worship. Giving demands a sacrifice. And honestly, I believe that the core issue of worship is just this, giving. The definition of worship is giving. 
It demands a sacrifice, but every time we give, we're extending the grace of God. We're recognizing Him as the source of our money or our talents or our gifts, whatever it is that we're giving. And we are declaring that things are not more important to us than God. So every time we give, and we're not just talking about money, but we're also talking about money. Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and money. Right? So we recognize that, yes, it is a part of the giving of our money, but it's also the giving of our talent, the giving of our time, the giving of our gifts. The essence of worship is giving. Because when we do that, we are declaring to God, You're, you are my source. Amen. I'm going to throw this money in the offering because I believe that my source is not my job, it's my God. Amen. I'm going to give of my time and my talent for what God wants for my life, not because I'm the one who has this talent. It's because, God, you gave it to me in the first place. I'm just a steward of what God has given me. Amen. I'm just a steward. I am just, I, I'm, I'm a passageway for God to give through. And we know that sometimes giving is a sacrifice, whether it's money you're putting in an offering trade or whether you're giving of your time and your talent. It demands a sacrifice. Jesus stood there and watched them as they were dropping money in the offering tray. And you had all these rich folk that were waving their money around and throwing it in the offering tray. And then this little widow comes up and throws two pennies in. Jesus said she gave more than every one of them. Why? Because they gave out of their abundance and got a whole lot more left over. She gave out of her need. She worshipped. She worshipped because she made a sacrifice. Worship is a sacrifice. Praise is called a sacrifice many times because we have to learn to honor God in the good times and in the bad. We honor Him when life is easy, and we honor Him when life is hard. We honor Him when things are going our way. We honor Him when they are not. Why? Because we know that He is for us. Paul, the Apostle Paul, said, If God be for me, who can be against me? The Apostle Paul said, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The Apostle Paul is the one who said that Jesus is always leading us in his triumph. This is the same Apostle Paul that went to prison. The same Apostle Paul that was beaten with rods and whips and left for dead, stoned, shipwrecked. Got through a shipwreck and then got bitten by a snake. When it rains, it pours. That's not one thing, it's another. Huh? Come on now. I'm sure Paul could have said that. I just got out of this. Could you imagine him getting on the island of Malta after being in a shipwreck? Ha, I made it. Thank you, God. Let's build a fire. <laughs> God, do you hate me? The Bible says he shook the snake off in the fire and kept collecting sticks. Some of us would have pulled our stop work card. I quit. He kept working, and they looked at him and thought, this guy is a god. Worship sometimes calls us to praise God even when things are not going our way, and that becomes our sacrifice. Hey, man, I want to see you jumping on those good days. I want to see you jumping on the bad, too. I want to see you lifting your hands and singing at the top of your lungs when everything's going right, but you know what? I want to see you doing that when everything's falling apart. Because that's, that's worship. That's me offering my sacrifice of praise. 
Because I don't know about you, but God is God on the good days and the bad days. God is God when he does things the way I want him to, and when he does things the way I don't want him to. He's still God. He doesn't owe me a thing, but he gives anyway. He's worthy of my worship. He's worthy of our song, he's worthy of our service, and he's worthy of our sacrifice. So our challenge this morning is to let us awake to what rules our hearts. We cannot sleep on the idols that may invade our lives because only he is worthy of our captured hearts. Only he is worthy of a heart captured by his grace. And so this challenge has been to awake and arise. This, this is the challenge of our lives, to awake to love, to awake to holiness and, and recognize that God has called us to these things, to awake to the light, to awake to the Spirit, and to awake to worship in our lives. Because our spiritual lives are too important to not shake ourselves awake. We've got to shake ourselves awake. We've got to stop going through the motions. We've got to stop acting like that there is another day. Today. The Bible says now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. You don't have another day. You've got today. You've got today to do something with your spiritual life. You've got today to do something about your walk. You've got to, today to do something about your spiritual condition. We don't have tomorrow, folks. We've got right now. And so the challenge is wake up. Wake up. Wake yourself up. Stir yourself. You are revival. You are a one who is supposed to be bringing an impact. You are a difference maker. And it only happens when we wake up. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, how grateful we are for the word. We're asking that your word would dwell in our hearts richly, in all wisdom. And may that word lead us, O oh God, to honoring you through worship, to honoring you through our praise, to honoring you through our service and our sacrifice, and yes, even in our song. So Lord, we declared this morning our dependence upon you. We can't make it without you. We don't want to even try. So this morning we ask that you would challenge our hearts. The Lord, not only would you reveal to us how big and how awesome you are, but that you would reveal to us the emptiness and the vanity of idols. That you would help us recognize what has captured our hearts. And at the end of the day, may we be able to stand and say, my heart belongs fully to God. Fully to God. We're going to spend a few moments in worship here at the end of the service, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to not just stand and, and watch or listen to the song. I'm asking you to get involved. A lot of you might say, well, Mark, the worship service was at the beginning of the service. No, it's not. It's the whole service. You worshiped while you listened to the Word. I pray that I, I got that across to you. As we let the Word of God dwell in us richly, we're worshiping. And so now as we open up this altar, our surrender is our worship. Our repentance is our worship. Our crying out to God, I need help. That's worship. I need help. I can't get through this, God, without you. I'm broken. I'm hurting. This is our act of